Uh, it's so, so glad to be here. If we haven't had an opportunity to meet, my name is Brian Jones. I'm the pastor here. And I want to start by asking you, so asking you this question. What is the name of someone that you would love to become a Christian in 2021? I want you to think of someone that you work with, maybe a family member, a, a, a friend. I want, you to, I want you to think about, let me turn my phone off here. Let me, I want you to think about the name of that person. Uh, when we first moved to this area uh, in 99, the spring of tw- uh, 20, or, uh, t- 2000, um, uh, we're an outdoors family, and I took our girls uh, on a hike, and I asked around, what's the best hike in the region? And someone said, Rickett, Ricketts Glen. If you've been to Ricketts Glen, fantastic. Yep, love Ricketts Glen. And so I had, uh, uh, gosh, six, nine, yeah, it should have been, yeah, oh, close to a year old, uh, under a year old. I had a, uh, one that was under a year, had one that was four, and I had one that was six. And if you've ever been to Ricketts Glen, it's basically you go down and you see all of these beautiful waterfalls. And we spent a good part of the morning going all the way down to the base of the waterfalls. And then it quickly dawned on me, I not only have to get back up, but I have to get these kids up. And so uh, I had, I was carrying one and I eventually was carrying my four-year-old around my shoulders and I had one of these chest things for, for our, our, our youngest. And what would you have thought if I had just left the kids at the bottom and said, you're on your own? Uh, those of you who have teenagers or have had teenagers, you probably have thought about that before. Uh, but if I had left those kids down at the bottom at Ricketts Glen, we all know what you would have thought about me. Business author Peter Drucker used to ask people this question whenever they would ask him for his help with business. He would always ask them, what business are you in? And then he would follow it up with, how's business? What business are you in and how's business? And if you were to ask any Christian in the United States what business the church is in, besides the fact that we all know the church isn't a business, but if you were to ask what business is the church in, you'd get a lot of different answers. Some people would say the business of the church is attending church services and singing songs and listening to people talk, volunteering, giving money, serving the needs of the poor and the oppressed in the community and beyond. In fact, if you ask any Christian, by and large, that's the answer that you would get. But to answer Drucker's question, the church is not in the attending church services business. It's not in the getting people to volunteer business. It's not in the giving business or the helping people in the community or international and internationally business. The church is in the disciple-making business. Here's how the great spiritual writer, Dallas Willard, put it. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today, with all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens 
into every corner of human existence. How many of you remember 10 years ago that a man named Russell, uh, Jason Russell, here's his picture right here. Um, he, for, he founded an organization called Invisible Children, which seeks to rescue children in war-torn countries. And on March 5th of 2012, he released a video that he had produced where he shared the story of this guy, Joseph Kony, at the time, a Central African warlord who was responsible for abducting and turning into soldiers and sex slaves over 30,000 children. The film was called Kony 2012. How many of you remember when that happened on social media? When that came out on social media, Within days, it blew up. 11 million people shared that video link within just a few days. The goal was to make Joseph Coney famous and to put pressure on the world's superpowers to do something about him. We Americans, we love this kind of thing. We love jumping on the bandwagon of something like that. Jason Russell was everywhere on the news. Bono said his movie was so great that it deserved an Oscar. Ryan Seacrest wanted him on American Idol. Oprah wanted to partner with him to fill stadiums around the world so that we could focus attention on Joseph Coney and we could get the world superpowers to eliminate him and his disastrous regime. But do you remember what happened after Coney 2012? Nothing. It went nowhere. It had no real substantive effect. Like literally everyone on the planet one day was talking about this. And then the next day, Jason Russell had a complete mental break because of the attention that he was getting. The story died down and now it has become this distant social media phenomenon that no one talks about anymore. Except for the Christians that were on the ground working with invisible children before the story broke and were still there after the story died down. Since 2012, quietly, working behind the scenes to rescue and disciple children who had been left behind. We Americans love big, we love hype, we love flash. Our mission as a church is to make more and better disciples of Jesus. Helping our friends become a Christian is the easiest part of discipleship. Walking slowly with them through incremental years of, of sacrifice and transformation. Three steps forward, two steps back, four steps forward, ten steps back. Slowly walking beside them the steps of transformation. And in Drucker's words, we are in the discipleship business and discipleship is never booming. Discipleship is never quick. It's never flashy. But when people do it slowly, 
and methodically, the end results are incredible. Nothing can replace it. We're in the middle of this series called Jesus Changes Everything. And we've been studying Paul's letter to the Christians in the ancient Turkish city of Colossae. We've been looking at the things that Paul felt that he needed to address in this church. The first week that we talked, we talked about how we need to get the gospel right. Last week, we talked about how we need to get Jesus right. If we get Jesus right, everything else will fall in place. This week, we're going to talk about how we need to get the mission right. So if you're joining us, uh, we want to make sure that you turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1, verse 24 through 29. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we have a church app. Just uh, uh, go and look for CCV Philadelphia and whatever app store you use. Pull up the app, go to the Bible tab and look at the scripture. Let's start reading verse 24 together. Now I rejoice, this is the Apostle Paul talking, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant, the servant of the church, by the commission God gave me to present to you, the Colossians, the word of God in its fullness, meaning you've had the Old Testament scriptures, now there's an additional revelation that brings the word of God to its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, because Jesus was born a Jew, and now Jewish leaders are going out to the Gentiles, of which the Colossians are Gentiles, so they're not Jews. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want to point out a few things about this scripture that we first read. The first is, Something that is incredibly controversial, and I want to get your take. I want, to, I, want to, I want to know what you think about what this verse means. Paul says, I rejoice in what I am suffering, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. And so my question to you is, what is meant by this statement? I fill up in my flesh... What is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? So Paul is saying that Jesus died on the cross. And in Christian theology, we believe that Jesus' death is enough. That it was enough, it was complete in and of itself to affect the forgiveness of sins. Paul is saying 
that there is something lacking in the death of Jesus. Turn to the person next to you and ask each other, what does that mean? Those of you who are at home, what does that mean? I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. There have been whole doctoral dissertations written on this. There have been books written on this. Uh, you, it's so funny when I talk to people. Uh, and uh, I told him one time uh, we were going to a pastor's convention in Vegas. And first they laughed, yeah, <laughs> a pastor's convention in Vegas. And I told them, yeah, there's some great, some of the greatest churches in the United States are in Vegas. And, and, and my, the friend of mine was like, there's, there are conventions for everybody. There are even conventions for pastors. And um, so there is this idea in church world among pastors and among scholars that there is this great debate as to what this means. And so um, Paul says that his suffering somehow completes what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. And it's important that we get this because you're going to experience the same thing. Paul is saying, if we can bring the last scripture verse back up here on the screen. Paul says that I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. But the whole verse is in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. In other words, Paul's not saying that Christ's death on the cross wasn't complete. Paul is just simply saying that is complete, but metaphorically going forward, as we fulfill now his mission to reach people that are far from God, that his physical body metaphorically is going to continue to suffer and you and I and Paul are all a part of his body. And so his death on the cross was complete for salvation, but his death on the cross in terms of his metaphorical body wasn't complete because you and I are going to be called to suffer on behalf of those that we want to get the gospel. So I want you to think about that. When was the last time you suffered to get someone the gospel? Our church planner that is in uh, Northeast India has become targeted by the authorities there. His sister has already been murdered. We're trying to figure out how this partnership continues. We couldn't go there in January because of protests. He legitimately is filling up in his body what is lacking regarding Christ's sufferings in order to reach the people that are in northern India. He's willing to suffer to reach his friends and family. And I, I, I compare him to my and our lethargy about reaching people that are far from God. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Colossians 1.28 says, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That word fully mature comes from the Greek word telos. Right here, go to the next slide if you can. Comes from the Greek word telos. It means fully complete. And so when you, when you think of this word and this phrase fully complete, 
Uh, I don't know how many of you as a family do puzzles. Um, I used to do puzzles as a kid. My girls have started doing, whenever we have family get-togethers, make sure you get a puzzle and we'll do a puzzle. Now, does anybody know the secret to getting puzzles done quickly? Everyone, if you're not listening, um, everyone here is saying you do the edges first and they're wrong. That's not the secret. The secret is, is you let your kids get most of it done first. Then you come in at the end and you're like, I think this goes here. Bam, that's how you do it. But yes, of course, you do the edges, right? And when someone becomes a disciple of Jesus for the very first day, they make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of their lives. They're baptized. The edges of their life are there. But Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 28 that we're to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And that takes time. We don't need to teach them what he says. We need to teach them how to obey what he says. The third thing I want you to notice, it says in Colossians 1.28, we're admonishing, which means to warn. And we're teaching them. We're the, the pictures were so engaged with them. But the other thing he says, to this end, I strenuously contend. Go to the next slide, please strenuously contending. Go to the next one. I'm sorry. I'm going too fast. Forward. I strenuously contend is a word that the apostle Paul was borrowing from the gladiator games. Agonizomai. To fight in a battle was the way the gladiators would fight. I want you to think of Russell Crowe in the movie Gladiator. Did you see that movie? If you haven't, you're not going to heaven. You need to watch that this week. Russell Crowe goes and he fights tigers. Fighting tigers. And he's fighting gladiators on horses. And then he's fighting gladiators on chariots. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that friend that you're thinking of that you would love to help become a disciple of Jesus... They are going to face battles that you can't even dream of right now. Battles in their marriage, battles in their physical health, battles in their mind, battles at work, battles with their kids. And you need to stick right there with them and go to battle with them to help them be successful. This is why so many people become Christians and they're baptized, but they don't become disciples because they don't have a person that's going to stick with them for what did, how long did it take Jesus to disciple the disciples? Three years. And that was Jesus. How long is it going to take us much longer? I think it takes a good five to seven years for someone that is a pagan to convert to Christianity and become a disciple of Jesus five to seven years. And the only way that happens is if you're willing to go and fight for him. Now, there are three reasons why we have to work to present people that are fully mature. Because number one, they might fall away. I've seen this happen here at this church. You've seen this happen with people that you've helped become Christians. They start with passion and then they fall away. Jesus told this parable. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. 
And as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell in rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Unfortunately, I can think of people like that. You know how we keep that from happening? We show up for them day in and day out. We become troublesome, meddling, loving. It's like a parent will with a kid. Leave me alone. Next day, what do you do? Pack your bags and leave? You might want to. No, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to change that attitude. When a friend becomes a Christian, your work isn't over. It's just begun. The second thing is, is if we don't fight for these people that we're fighting for. Now, this is particularly important because right now in our church, we have groups that are meeting all over the place. And we're in the middle of this study. And it will be very easy in the middle of the study for people to sort of like trickle away. I'm kind of busy. I don't want to go all the way to the end with this study. Number two, they might become bad PR for God. The moment we become Christians, the moment we become a public relations campaign for God. And we either do it well or we do it poorly. Titus 2 says, you must, however, teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith and love and endurance so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And when we don't live that way, it maligns the teaching. The most important thing is, is if we do not invite people into our lives that we're going to disciple, they might be overcome by sin. Romans chapter six says in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm talking about movies. I'm assuming everybody has seen the movie Forrest Gump, unless you've been living with the Amish for the last quarter of a decade or quarter of a century. Forrest Gump, there's my favorite scene where, is, where he says there's lots to do in Vietnam. And then he dives into this foxhole. Whenever I'm in small groups with men, that is essentially what it becomes. Men are interesting. Uh, I, gosh, in 30 some years, I can't count the number of times I've been in groups with men. Nothing, nothing can replace the potential of a man that is on fire for God, the effect that a man can have on his family, on his work, when a man is on fire for God. But when a man is not on fire for God, it's hard to overestimate the damage that a man can do to his wife, to his kids, to his work. Every single man that is converted starts out at that point. They're destined to do a lot of damage. But it's because there are people like you that are going to walk beside a man and help him grow and overcome and fight battles. I think about when I was converted at 18, my friend Darren, I had countless issues that I was dealing with. My friend Darren was like, okay, 
What's number one? I'm still friends with Darren. He still texts, he still calls, I text, I call him. And I've been doing this since 1985. He's still working on me. As perfect and as good looking as you think I am. There's still work to be done. It's because he, he's there. He, he is strenuously contending to present me perfect in Christ. I think of Dr. Stephen Pattison when Lisa and I were dating. And we asked him to marry us. And he did our premarital counseling. And he took us under his wing. His wife, Julie, took us under their wing and they modeled for us for about a year and a half what a godly, normal, not perfect, but a committed Christian couple looked like. They showed us week in and week out and we were able to open up and share struggles with them. I attribute our marriage first and foremost to our parents my friend Darren, and then the early work of Dr. Stephen Pattison, who both taught and warned and strenuously contended. So if you get nothing out of this message, it's this. We are being called to reach every single person in this region with the gospel. But you, in order to do that, to reach your friends and family, you will fill up in your body the afflictions and the sufferings that are lacking in Christ's afflictions. You will suffer to make that happen. And that is our mission and that is our calling and that is something that we are willing to do for our kids, for our spouses, for our friends, for our neighbors, we will fill up in our bodies the afflictions that are not complete in the afflictions of Christ. Let's pray. Our God, give us your heart for people that are far from you and give us the willingness to be an Apostle Paul, to be an Epaphras, to suffer, to bring them to you and to help them become fully mature firm, deep, rooted in you. It's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of pain on our part. But we're up for the task. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.